Hello and welcome to the Mal and Johnny show. Now, you might remember a couple of months ago, we had a chat with Roger Stanley talking about his dad, but also about his writing. And we knew that there was a book coming out this autumn. And once it was published, we wanted to have him on the podcast. So, Roger Stanley, welcome to the programme. How lovely to be back. Uh, and I mean, Johnny, a prolific writer yeah. is, is our Roger, isn't he? Prolific. Yeah, he's written lots of stuff. Radio plays, stage plays, uh, animation, you name it, he's written it. And uh, he used to write stuff for Stan, of course. What was that lovely thing you did for your father? Well, well you did pantomime scripts I wrote, Johnny. That's right. But didn't you write a radio play? Was it called Twice Nightly or something? Oh, I, I wrote several things that he did, um, yeah. which was great. Uh, and I also did a thing called Twice Nightly, which was, wasn't a drama. It was um, looking back at Variety Theatre. And we That's cut right. lots of old archives, sound archives together, mm. as if Dad was walking backstage in a 1950s Yeah, it theater. was very, very atmospheric. It was good. I think, and he loved doing it. And, of course, he knew all the artists that he was... Uh, talking about yeah. that's right that's right um, now yeah. throughout lockdown you've been writing lots of poetry about lots of different subjects what, what why why did you turn to poetry roger well i turned back to poetry really now because when i was a teenager that's when my poetry started it was uh, a, a good way to get the attention of girls really, <laughs> I, I had no i had no etchings to ask them to come up and see but my goodness if you wrote a girl a poem well you were so long so long basically so yeah so so um uh, 15 16 i suppose i started and um for about 10 years i wrote nothing but poetry right uh, all the time I was at university, and uh, I was part of the Cardiff poetry scene, you know, in rooms above pubs and slim volumes and earnest young men and women with long hair and all the rest of it. But then, in my late 20s, um, I started to write drama, write for the theatre initially, and, um, and telly and radio and... And 40 years I did that, really. Mm. That was my career, my prime career. Mm. And during that time, ironically, I, I stopped writing poems. I didn't write any poems because I was writing dialogue and, you know, all mm. the rest of it. Uh, and then, of course, you know what happened to all of us. Mm. And all the theatres went dark, as we know, to our cost. Mm. Television production went out the window. So I'm sitting here, you know, looking out the window, <laughs> and I write a poem, yeah. one poem, um, because nobody can stop me doing that, and I don't need anybody's help to write a poem. And then I did another and another, and to cut a long story short, two and a half years later, I now I've got two and a half thousand <gasps> poems. Goodness that, I, me. Uh, that I wrote from lockdown, beginning lockdown. And uh, in and amongst those two and a half thousand, I thought I'd write some poems about Dylan Thomas, a writer who I've admired since I was a teenager. And um, I wrote one, <laughs> and I wrote another. And I thought, well, Dylan's first book of poems was called 18 poems so mm -hmm. i'll do 18 poems and i thought that's going to be smart and dylan's second book of poems was called 
25 poems. And when I outstripped the 18, I said, oh, well, I'll stop at 25, because that's me. Anyhow, um, if oh, you can see that, yes. the cover of the book. That's very nice. 40, 40 poems. poems. 40, 40 poems. For Dylan Thomas. <laughs> Wow, it, it looks um, looks great as well. The cover looks terrific. The cover is smashing, I have to say, and I have to pay tribute to my publishers who are called Candy Jar Books. Uh, they they sorted that out, and it, of course, it's the boathouse in Larne mm -hmm. where Dylan lived the later few years of his life. And the picture on the front is an artist's impression of a picture of him as a young man, because mm -hmm. I didn't want to go down the kind of B.S. Hodden, mm -hmm. you know, damaged. I mean, he was a genius, I think, poetic genius. But, you know, as a human being, he had one or two flaws. But I didn't want to represent him as the, some of the pictures are here. You know, him in his... He only died at 39. Mm -hmm. I mean, for goodness yeah. sake. I mean, the later yeah. pictures of him, the ones that we most of all know. But as a young man, he was quite cherubic, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, what is really weird is uh, I knew his daughter um, in, in 1976. Uh, we both were published by the same uh, small press in Wales, near Aberystwyth, in fact. And I did poetry readings with her. So we spent loads of time on the road talking about fathers, you yeah, know, my dear dad and his. Yeah. So I did have quite an insight into the background, mm. you know. But when I became a playwright, um, and I'm the only man on the planet to have written for both Sooty and the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> um, <laughs> and most things in between, I say. Um, and uh, when you're trying to earn a living, we all of us are freelance. We all know how hard it is, you know. But if you want to be a freelance writer, you've got to turn your hand to mostly anything, you know. And animation, I wrote tons of animation, cartoons, you know. I knew uh, Mike Young of Super Ted very well. We worked together and lots of... I worked uh, for Hanna-Barbera in Los Angeles, you know, one of the greatest animation houses on the planet. Uh, but you could earn more from writing a 10-minute, well, a 15-minute cartoon episode then you'd be paid for writing a full-length stage play. <laughs> so you can you can understand how, you know, I'll have a little bit of that then, please. Yes. It's better than working. Yeah. But I loved my writing for animation. And, of course, I love kids, you know, following after my dad who loved entertaining kids. And um, I loved writing animation. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so I did stage plays, I did uh, Radio 4 dramas, I did Radio 4 documentaries, somebody's phone is ringing. I <laughs> yes, did... it's mine, I'll we'll answer it. <laughs> I divorced her if I were you, John. Um, <laughs> you can't afford it. I've given one house away, I'm not doing another. <laughs> no, I'm not that man. So, you know, it's a mixed, it's a mixed, uh, a mixed meal, I suppose, mm. being a, being a, playwright being a dramatist being yeah a what poet. you're saying about being a playwright it's not you know theater doesn't pay very well at all i mean i know the one i did with mike povey for the sherman we worked for like for two years for about I, two grand i know <laughs> i was there i was there Jono. yeah in fact john if you yeah. recall 
You and I were going to write that play. Yes, I was, but I think you were taken ill and you couldn't do it. I was taken ill, but I remember us having a lovely journey down to meet Ruth Maddock. That's right, yeah. And in your open-top beamer, I seem to remember. Yes, I don't like it. <laughs> there you are, Mr. Taxman. Look, he hasn't, um, got it, he hasn't got it anymore, just to say the taxman. No, 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 no. <laughs> he couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford it. That was it. That was it. Because of all this. You've, you've got to do a bit of everything. But it's yeah. ironic now, really, you know, to come back to poetry because... Uh, that was my muse, in a way, when I was in my teens. And I thought, basically, she'd gone, yeah. you know, forevermore. And then she knocked on the door on her Zimmer frame and said, we've got a bit more work to do. And two and a half thousand poems later, we're still working. Right, then. Let's, so, you yeah. know, it's about D- Dylan Thomas. But it's not all about Dylan Thomas, is it? It's, no, it, it's it, about it, both of us. It's about us. I mean, yeah. I know that sounds a bit big time to say that, but... It's about where he and I meet, in a way. I mean, his life, my life, um, and lots of common threads there. Um, And a lot of the poems, you know, really lay out why I write poetry and what I get from it. And, you know, there's uh, one poem in there called Jumpers for Goalposts, which is all about Wichert Common, basically. And uh, and it uses the kind of the poetic conceit that Dylan used to come and play soccer there, like my mates did. And he used to bring all the dead poets with him, you know, and we used to have football games (laughs) there. Um, but it gave me a chance to write some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and 39 of the poems are totally focused on Dylan and me. Yeah. And the last poem, which is called Singing Our Songlines, is just about me. And it really is me explaining why I do it and why I've done it all my life. Mm-hmm. And. Without sounding as my seventy third birthday no, yesterday. No, no. Oh wow! Without, I know. This I remember you coming home from university. So I'll shut up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you, I tell you, you knew me before I even went, mate. Um, <laughs> and um, this book is is going to be around long after I'm gone. So naturally, I want it to be right, I, yeah. you know. Mm. And I dedicate it to my son Sam. That's the mm. simple dedication. In there. Yeah. Um, well, it'd be nice to. Every, yeah, it would. It would be nice. To, can we start with a poem? Which one? Which which, which yep, is your yeah. favourite? Would you would you read well, us a poem, start, please? You know, I'll start with the first poem in the book. Now, this is called "Memory of a Miler," as in a mile race, and. Um, Well, it's self-explanatory, but it will surprise a few people. Here we go. Twenty-five years carried, crumpled, precious in a succession of empty wallets. Dylan Thomas treasured the memory of that day in 1928, aged 14. He won the Swansea Mile. At St. Helen's Sports Ground, Swansea grammar boy beaming with pride. Not yet a poet, time enough for that. Images of Dylan range so widely, from angelic upstart in an ugly, lovely town, to bloated being, seeing his sad life disappear, like the sun going down over mumbles. But not 
very often do we recall a spindly team kitted out to run and beat all contenders. Coming first is unambiguous. The finishing tape tells no lies. The years that followed saw new entrances as poetic lines started to compete for attention. Young athletes' feet replaced by metric ones. A starting gun was fired, a new race begun, only to end overseas, a quarter of a century away, crossing the finishing flat line in a New York hospital. No accolades bestowed, no medal or trophy given, just an obituary echoing round a darkened stadium, but all the time, his hard miles disappeared. Dylan carried proof, hidden like a tattered talisman, that once upon a time he was an athlete. And sometimes in smoky pubs on lost rainy nights in uplands or posh upper east side of Gotham City, in his cups or painfully sober, he would unfold the newspaper cutting creased with miles travelled and marked by the fingertips of his stubby poet's hands. Beaming with pride of his rose-tinted reflection, Dylan would, at least in that instant, seem to dismiss all other achievements and endeavours, poetry, prose, place for boy, failing to press the tape, always second-placed on the heels of the miler. A highlight that never dimmed, a gold medal memory in a world that over ticking time raced by, turning gold to silver, then bronze, then black. We all need magic. We all carry in hand or soft heart furry rabbit's feet and four-leaved clovers, locks of our beloved lover's hair in lockets to buoy us up when the world pushes us down. And so it was with him, adulation freely offered, sometimes didn't matter quite as much, couldn't match one Swansea day when lungs grasped for air and a skinny boy felt his very first kiss of victory. Hey, mm. wonderful. You know the funny oh, thing you, you, you talked about things you've got in common. Uh, Dylan won the mile. You were a, you were a high jumper. I was an international high jumper. International <laughs> high jumper. Did you carry around your, your your cuttings in your in your wallet, or do you <laughs> did oh, you let them go? I didn't have a wallet big enough. Didn't I didn't have a wallet big enough. Matt. Yeah, uh, a, a lovely thought of Dylan because obviously we, as you say, you know, people think of him maybe as the bloated Dylan, but he he was a runner and he loved his loved and hated his ugly, lovely town. I think in many ways, uh, particularly uh, well, to get yeah. to the war when the war destroyed his Swansea was gone forever, wasn't it? Well, one of my poems in the book, in fact, is about the Blitz, the Swansea Blitz, and, uh, you know, how that impacted him and what he felt about it. It's a poem called Nostar, in fact. Um, and, of course, many people don't realise that Dylan didn't speak Welsh. Mm. I mean, that is quite an important fact, given he is the preeminent mm. Welsh poet of the last half a century and more. Mm. Um, I was once commissioned by HTV um, television to do a, a, a poem about him many, many years ago. Um, 
And it contained the line somewhere, Dylan and me, we never spoke Welsh, because we neither of us, you know, we neither of us did. Mm. Yet, you know, we both are proud Welsh poets, mm. um, and that's the way it is. Mm. Um, he sounded very English, actually, when he spoke as well, didn't he? He had this plummy voice. He had a very plummy voice. Uh, very plummy voice, uh, very BBC, very received pronunciation, you know. And during the war, he wrote lots of films. He wrote lots of kind of Ministry of Information propaganda films uh, in London. Um, so he was very much in Broadcasting House and he was... And it stood him in good stead, I think, for when, towards the very, very end of his life, he did Under Milkwood. Mm-hmm. which uh, he described as a play for voices. Yeah. I mean, all plays are plays for voices, but, I mean, I love Under Milkwood. In fact, I've just written to Michael Sheen, an actor I really admire, who's just done a brilliant production at the National Theatre. Yeah, I went to see it, Rog. It was fantastic. Oh, you went? I only I saw went. it on the box, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we had a few actor friends in it, and we got some tickets, and we went. And I tell you what, the way it was done was fantastic. Because to me, the old as you say, home, really, yeah, yeah, it was like the old yeah. people's home, yeah. and the people in that home become the characters of Milkwood, and yeah. it was really wonderfully done. Um, no, because normally I don't like stage productions of it; I like to hear it. Yeah, but yeah. watching it done that way was really good. Mm. I, I, I mean, there are two. Well, for me, the two people I think. I mean, Tony Hopkins, I mm. feel, is the greatest interpreter of Dylan's lyric poetry. Um, Burton was fantastic, but I think Tony Hopkins has the edge. And I think my, I think the opening speech that Michael did uh, for that production was spellbinding. I mean, yeah, I yeah. cannot tell you. Uh, uh, and I've sent copies of it all around the world, you know, mm. to friends and said, just please listen to this. I think he's yeah. an extraordinary actor. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the accent. Um, Gwen Watkins, Vernon Watkins' widow, uh, lives in oh, Sweden, yeah. and the kids, my my kids were the same age as her grandchildren. I remember you know, waiting in the school playground, talking about Dylan, as she would occasionally. You know how he didn't, turn up, didn't turn up to the wedding, even though he was supposed to be best man and wrote apologetic letters. He got <laughs> drunk, drunk on the way. But I remember saying once those, uh, as Dylan would say, those soft Welsh Cambridge accents, those soft Welsh Cambridge. And of course, she wasn't <laughs> she, she wasn't reading it. She, she remembers him saying it, you know. So yeah, that was that was definitely a thing. Well, and, and you know, Hugh Edwards has that now, doesn't he? And and, and commentates oh, on, on in well, I mean, national events. Absolutely. But um, as a poet, uh, he is so well known. But the other thing that people really ought to give a lesson to, his short stories are fantastic. I mean, they are wicked and funny. And here again is something that he and I have in common. I write a great deal about my childhood. That was a golden age for me. And it was a golden age for Dylan as well. And so many of his stories, uh, uh, you know, are in Sketty or the Uplands or Condonkin Park. I mean, and you must remember, he was born in 1914, you know, so he was playing in the park when men were in the song, basically. So he was playing, you know, cowboys and Indians and a real war was going on. Um, but so much of his, and and where where he is totally unlike me, or I should say, I am totally unlike him. For God's sake, he would spend a day worrying about a word. 
Mm. You know, his notebooks are published now, and you can see pencil crossings out here, there, and ever. And Kathleen, his wife, used to lock him in to his writing house uh, near the boathouse in Larne and only let him out when he'd done a day's work to go to the pub, basically. Uh, and here am I talking about two and a half thousand poems. And dear Dylan, as I say, would worry one poem away until, you know... Yeah. You chisel, chisel every word with it. It was like chiselling it out one, and then putting yeah. bits and bow. I mean, you're it, and interesting. he was right and I am wrong. No, I mean, I, there's I, no right or... No, I've done a lot of creative writing teaching in different universities and if any of my students had told me they'd written that many poems i would have shouted you know. <laughs> um, it's, it, and it's a great way into dylan i found some of his poetry a little bit too dense when i was younger and i found that yeah. you know the stories like you know child's christmas at wales and um you know in in those stories you know day out and, and the shower bang and all those types i of know stories. and throwing, yeah. throwing the snowballs on the fire you know and uh and going to Porthcourt, I mean, wonderful, yeah, wonderful. But don't you think, Roger, that people can only write really from their own experiences to, to make it authentic sounding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, they can change it a bit, but they, they, they delve in their own history, really. Mm. Well, in a way, John, you know, when you're an author, uh, we, we all write about ourselves. I mean, yeah. even though yeah. we may be writing about somebody else, mm. parts of us are in most of the characters that mm. we, yeah. Uh, yeah. we write about. And... Um, and, uh, you know, when you're working with writers who really have little experience, and this goes for drama as well, mm. uh, you tend to start them off by saying, write about what you know, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, uh, don't write about something that you've got to research for 100 years, you know, or write about what you know. And the great trick, I feel, of drama and poetry is for it to be personal, but also universal. We need to capture emotions. Mm. And that's where Shakespeare, of course, had it right. I mean, you look at Shakespeare, everything is in there, you know, love, death, intimacy, incest, war, you know, everything mm. is in Shakespeare. And of course, uh, he was a job in playwright. Like yeah. I said at the beginning of the interview, he had to make, make a crust, you Absolutely. know, so that's you right, try yeah. By everything. What, what what are your hopes for the book then, Roger? What are your hopes for this forty <laughs> poems on Dylan Thomas? It's at the it, it literally now is at the printers now as we're sitting here today. It'll be out in a week's time. I'm coming over to Cardiff to uh, sign the first hundred copies and number them. Um, I've had a lovely introduction written. Uh, by the chairman of the Dylan Thomas Society, Jeff Hayden, uh, who runs the Dylan House in Swansea. Mm. And um, if I'd written it myself, I couldn't have done better. You know, and, and, and it finishes off with the line, a fitting tribute to its subject, and there's no higher praise than that. So, I mean, he really picked out on the similarities mm. between our approach uh, you know, it's not a competition. Of course it's not. But there's a harmony there. It's like singers singing. We complement each other, I think, in what we do. And there's a strong biographical... I mean, the poem starts in his youth and ends after his death. So anybody who loves Thomas's work 
if they give me a chance, you know, mm-hmm. I think we'll enjoy the journey. Um, okay. I'd like to hear what you make of it now when you read it. We're looking forward to it. And if people want to get hold of the book, uh, what's the best way to, to get a hold of it? The best, the, well, the best way is is to go to the public. I mean, it's going to be the Welsh, um, the Book Council of Wales is going to be getting into bookshops and it's on Amazon. Mm. But uh, um, the, the, if you were to contact www. and this is all one word, mm-hmm. uh, Candy Jar Books, all lowercase. dot co. dot uk, they've got you know a sales office there, Fantastic. and uh, it's twelve ninety nine, oh. so it's a snip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yes, yeah, yeah. A snip. That's that's three poems. Per pound. Um, now then, <laughs> before you go, uh, before you leave us, perhaps you could pick another one of another one of your poems yeah. to, to to send us off well, happily with. Well, I'd like to, if if you will, I'll now read one of the end poems. You know, uh, called "On My Way to Hollywood," mm. because towards literally the last months of his life, when he was in America quite a lot doing readings tours. Um, he met Stravinsky, Igor Stravinsky, and they planned an opera together. Wow. And I was going to write a stage play about this once upon a time for the National Theatre, but that's another story. Um, and Stravinsky built a room on his house in Los Angeles for Dylan to come and live with him so they could write this opera. And Stravinsky had worked with W.H. Auden, mm. uh, so he'd worked with a poet before. And they came up with a notion, and this is very contemporary, of the world ending in some sort of environmental catastrophe. Um, And a new Garden of Eden, and uh, the rocks and the trees singing, and it would have been surreal but wonderful. But for Thomas, who'd just done Under Milkwood, it was the answer. I mean, Under Milkwood, he almost dismissed and said, this is the thing that's going to and at the start of this, he's writing home to Kathleen, who was down in Larn, uh, fuming at his uh, affairs, and he had many, and bringing up three kids, more or less on her own some. And this is the poem. Dearest cat, this time it's working, or will when I can get there, to the land of oranges and sun, then everyone will get paid with lots left over, dear love, and dearest lover, toys for both the boys, a dolly for a wrongly, and maybe a new frock for you, and our hearty cockles warmed, cold beer and browns and money, lots left over, cutched safe under the mattress, and nights of loving like it used to be before I became big and bloated and a waste of space around the place. This time, it will all come to pass. I know, this time it's working. This time it's working. I've just seen him, Stravinsky, Igor, I must learn to call him, in his New York hostel hotel room, Copley Plaza. He wasn't well, had a cold or something. Room service brought us drinks. Him, squeezed orange juice from California. Golden as the sun that is young once only, and me a scotch. Never too early in the day, we played together nicely, as they say. Auden had put in a good word or three, and honestly, I think the old man liked me. What? I hear you questioning. An opera. 
there's posh, there's intellectual, and we can, and me, I'll do it honestly. In two shakes of a mumble moggy's tail, got the story, subject, neat and tidy, and it can be spawned in a week, not months, a brand new dawn, birthed in California, my West Coast resurrection, my sunny rebirthing, this time it's working, end of the world in an atomic accident, environmental emergency, you see, I know it doesn't sound about a laugh, but listen, hear what we mean to make a bit apocalyptic promising hope for new happenings a new adam a new eve a nevada desert eden where dusty rocks plants and atomic tested trees will sing in harmony all these new beginnings exult exulting in appreciation of a second chance you might be dancing too why not and the plot the libretto would be all mine, bigger and better than milk would anyway. Something to stand the test of ticking time. Something proper. Not just a play for voices, but real opera. With my words neatly scored. A try and a conversion worthy of the arms park. No, I know cat, but I'm not naturally musical. But what can be so hard? As Reverend Eli cried, praise God, we're very musical Asia. Me too. So it's settled. After New York, I'll go and stay in Los Angeles with Igor, eager to make magic. Boston University, they're paying for it all. Orden and Igor did Rick's progress for them. Open the door so I can squeeze in tidy. No, that was a joke, rotund as ever, sadly. But I'll, I'll soon fly away to the city of angels and ring the cracked Angelus bell to toll the knell of poverty passing forever and ever on men. He's even built an extra room on his house, Igor. I'll stay there while we're collaborating, and I will drink in sunshine and fresh oranges. I'll get healthy and regain my athletic best, fit as a butcher's pup or old-school mild champion. So that's about it, Captain. I love and leave you, as I always do, but in the future, won't so much. Next time you hear from your peripatetic rhymer, there'll be sunny stamps on an airmail envelope and you can simply imagine me sipping iced Russian tea upon some far-flung veranda, or porch, as they call them. This time it's working. Have no doubt about that, cat. New words soon will be flowing from my old sunburnt brain. We've been uh, our special guest uh, on the Man and Johnny show this week has been Roger Stennett. The book is called Roger. It's called Forty Poems for Dylan Thomas, and it's published by Candy Jar Books. Candy Jar, Candy Jar Books, all one word. .co.uk available in all good bookshops too. I hope. Fantastic. Okay. I shall order my copy to the sweet. Absolutely. Thank well, you, John. Lo lovely to have you with us. So uh, it's goodbye from me, Johnny, and it's. It's goodbye from me. Nice to see you, Roger. Looking so nice well and healthy. Nice to see you both. You. God bless you both. Yeah. Take care. God bless. Bye bye. Thank you bye. Again. bye, Roger.